from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. Several hearings have been held this fall about the Kerry-Boxer climate bill that is under consideration in the U.S. Senate. The bill is more than 900 pages long, and one would think that it must cover virtually every issue of the climate debate. But according to the American Farm Bureau, that's not the case. The president of the American Farm Bureau, Bob Stallman, is on the telephone with us today to explain why his membership opposes the Kerry Boxer bill. Welcome, Bob. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to join you today, Jay. Well, we're delighted to have you join us. But first, let's talk about your organization. How many members do you have, and who are they? Well, we've been around for 90 years. Currently, we have 6.2 million member families. We don't have individual members. We have family memberships. We basically represent producers of all commodities that are produced in the United States and that uh, produce in all manner of production, whether it's local food, organic food, biotech, uh, conventional production. Our membership is primarily farmers and ranchers and people living in rural areas, although in recent times we've had increasing numbers from sort of that rural urban fringe where people are trying to get a little ways out of the city, you know, but they still... uh, you know, want to be connected to the city. We have 2,800 local uh, county or parish farm bureaus organized into all of our 50 state farm bureaus, and we have a Puerto Rico farm bureau. Well, how would you describe the contribution, or how would you quantify the contribution that American farmers make to consumers throughout the world? Well, we make a huge contribution in providing uh, affordable and plentiful food. Uh, Last year, we had roughly $100 billion in ag exports. Most of that directly food, some agricultural products that weren't food, but most of it was food. The United States, at least in recent times, exports about one out of every three acres of production. And we have historically been looked to as a reliable supplier uh, in the commercial markets, in the world commercial markets, and then also a supplier in times of need. You will uh, hear many stories in many years where the U.S. has been a uh, main provider of food aid to hungry parts of the world. And just in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, we are the most efficient producers in the world per unit of production. In other words, we use less carbon per unit of production than anybody else. That's a great segue into a discussion about the Kerry Boxer Climate Bill in the U.S. Senate. And you recently testified before Congress and stated that your organization opposes that version of the climate bill as well as the House version. And you mentioned that there are several holes in the Senate's Kerry Boxer bill. Uh, Let's take them one at a time if we can. First of all, you said the bill fails to provide a transition to a clean energy economy. What do you mean exactly, Bob? Well, citizens need to understand that first the mandatory cap-and-trade scheme in these two bills creates an artificial energy shortage by limiting the use of fossil fuel, and that's both oil and coal. And over the life of the bill, that will cause or create a hole in our energy supply that will need to be filled by low-carbon fuels. That's like solar, uh, wind energy, nuclear energy, biofuels. Uh, And the assumption is is that that's going to happen sort of automatically. And unfortunately, we don't believe that's a valid assumption. We think the bill needs much more policy language that will help encourage these things to happen than what it does. And, you know, let me give you a little example. The EPA analysis you know, just assumes that all of this new energy will be created as we reduce the use of coal and uh, oil 
in this country. But nuclear is a big part of that. Now, the last nuclear power plant started construction in 1977. To accomplish what EPA says will happen automatically, we need to have four to five nuclear power plants built per year for the next 40 years. Now, they don't do away with all of the costly and burdensome licensing procedures. They do nothing to prevent all the lawsuits that hold up siting and, and the building and operation of nuclear power plants. And so we think it's highly unlikely that those assumptions will be achieved. And then you look at wind energy, which has been under recent environmental attack uh, for what it does to endangered species, and also the viewscape, if you will. People don't like them. And corn-based ethanol and other renewable, lower carbon fuel is under attack. So we question whether those uh, assumptions are reliable, and we think there will be a huge shortage of energy when we get to, say, about 2030. And this bill needs to do a lot more to ensure that that hole is plugged. You mentioned in your testimony that farmers have a little concern about what would happen if natural gas becomes a primary energy source. And there has been some discussion about it perhaps becoming the bridge fuel that gets us from where we are today to a cleaner energy future. How could farmers be affected? Well, that discussion about natural gas being a bridge fuel is because natural gas emits about half the carbon that coal does, and right now coal provides a lot of our uh, electricity generation. But as you put more of this demand on natural gas, that is really going to be problematic for farmers for two reasons. One is that uh, farmers use natural gas directly as an energy source in irrigation motors, for crop drying, for livestock facility heating. So that would be an immediate cost increase uh, on the energy side. Uh, but what a lot of people forget or don't realize is that natural gas is the feedstock for fertilizer. Uh, it is the primary component from which nitrogen fertilizers are made. And so as the price of natural gas goes up, the the cost for fertilizer will go up for farmers. And we're even worried about availability when uh, the cost for natural gas uh, rose uh, in, in previous recent history. A lot of our uh, manufacturing base for nitrogen fertilizers moved offshore because our natural gas prices were higher uh, than natural gas prices in other parts of the world. So if we increase the demand up the price for natural gas, we're really concerned that we have the potential to be importing all of our fertilizer uh, for the future, and we don't think that's good for American agriculture. Another point that you made was that the Kerry Boxer Bill doesn't make economic sense for agriculture. And one of the points you mentioned is the fact that the bill doesn't provide a role for farmers and forestry in the offsets program. Can you elaborate on that? Well, the Kerry Boxer Bill is really deficient in that regard. The House bill, or the so-called Waxman-Markey bill, required USDA to run an agricultural offsets program and it had provisions in there that would allow farmers and ranchers the opportunity to benefit from an offsets program. Uh, there was no similar structure in the Kerry Boxer Bill. Uh, the choice was made to just say, well, we'll have an offsets program, and here's some things that may qualify, but it's all going to be up to the discretion of the president. Well, that creates a lot of uncertainty, and we want a lot more certainty in terms of which practices uh, would be allowed, who's going to be running the program, and do they know anything about agricultural production. That's why we wanted it at USDA. So there's a big uh, gap with the Kerry Boxer Bill compared to those uh, provisions uh, that were included in the Waxman-Markey Bill. Now, there is a really perverse impact, though, and this is where you really need to study and analyze legislation before you put it in place because the law of unintended consequences uh, still applies in many cases. Forestry offsets, as, pest as uh, 
specified in the Waxman-Markey bill uh, will create an effect that as carbon prices go up, cropland will be used to plant trees. Now, that's probably good for the landowner because he would benefit from the, uh, the offset related to him, him or her planting trees on their land, but at the same time, that removes that land from food production. And we're really talking about the possibility of downsizing American agriculture. In fact, under the scenarios that they're in the EPA analysis, we think land used for food production in the United States could be reduced by 17%. And that is not our idea of a good bill for American agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand. One, another point that you made is that you're particularly concerned about the harm that could be caused by regulation of greenhouse gases under the Clean Air Act. Why? Well, at a minimum, we think the Kerry Boxer Bill should include a provision that, that keeps or prevents EPA from regulating uh, agricultural uh, greenhouse gases under the Clean Air Act. The EPA, with its so-called finding of endangerment, and the regulations they're putting in place now will trigger a number of Clean Air Act programs that will become applicable uh, not only to agriculture but across most of the business sectors in this country. I have a real problem with the Clean Air Act application because the Clean Air Act was uh, designed to protect against industrial pollutants. And I exhale CO2 every time I exhale. All humans do. It's a biological process. CO2 is produced as we grow crops and as we grow livestock. Uh, and so it really the Clean Air Act is not suited uh, to regulating carbon dioxide, and yet that's how it's going to be applied. Uh, under specific language that's in the statute, in fact, if this process moves forward and there's not a provision preventing it in the Kerry uh, Boxer Bill, EPA regulation would actually extend to most livestock operations, about 90% of the beef operations, 99% of the dairy, and 95% of the hog operations in this country. And it was never, never intended to regulate American agriculture. And on top of that, the citizen suit provisions of the Clean Air Act will become applicable. So anybody that doesn't like a particular agricultural operation can get a lawyer and tie things up in court whether they have any case or not and create great costs for American producers and we have seen examples of that happen in the past and that creates a lot of uh, addition creates an additional concern for Clean Air Act enforcement you mentioned increasing costs well how would the Kerry Boxer bill affect the competitiveness of US farmers if indeed costs were to go up well US agriculture is the most efficient in the world now Uh, for producing food, fiber, and fuel. And we depend on our current success and future success on the ability to sell into what's a very competitive global agricultural market. And in many cases, it's developing countries that are our competitors. Now, the Kerry Boxer Bill just unilaterally caps carbon in the U.S. It creates higher energy costs and reduced food production, and there's no trigger there for lack of action by developing countries. There's nothing in that bill that will either cause other countries to reduce or cap their carbon emissions, or there's nothing in that bill that says, well, if other countries don't do that, then we don't have to do it either. The effect of that will be to shift food production to other countries without those same uh, greenhouse gas emission caps. Uh, And once again, the developing countries many times are our competitors. I pointed out that we were the most efficient producers of food in the world based on our greenhouse gas emissions per unit of production. That's not the case in China, India, Brazil, Argentina, Russia, 
those countries, if food production moves there, uh, it will actually create sort of a perverse effect of more greenhouse gas emissions for the same amount of food produced in the world. And I don't think that's an outcome that anybody wants either. So it would definitely have an impact on our competitiveness in international markets. One final question for you today, Bob. Is it correct to say that policies affecting farmers also affect American consumers? Based on your understanding of the Kerry Boxer and the Waxman-Markey bills, how do you think climate legislation could affect consumers in the United States and perhaps all over the world? Well, consumers have a big stake in all of this. They may not realize it now, but they do. Under the Waxman-Markey bill analysis, we projected energy costs would grow by $1,870 per household per year. And if you plug in the decreased food production effects because of higher costs for farmers and ranchers, that's going to raise food costs, and that would create a total of about $2,300 per household per year. That's here in the United States. Or you can say it another way. The cap-and-trade bill would impose costs of up to $200 billion per year in total on U.S. taxpayers, and that's roughly equivalent to a 15% hike in personal income tax. Can you realize how consumers in this country would scream if they knew they were going to be hit with a 15% hike in their personal income taxes? And for the world, uh, this bill will reduce the ability of U.S. farmers to produce food just at the time international organizations are worrying about how we're going to increase food production in the world by 70%, basically on the same amount of acres, to feed a population of 9.1 billion people in 2050. So we're headed in the wrong direction with this bill. Uh, for the future of this country and for this world, we need to have a viable agricultural production system, and this bill will actually keep that from happening. Very interesting discussion. Bob Solomon, thank you so much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.